We got a lot to do this morning. Amen. Already a lot got done. Man, I was so good. I had a, I had a good time. I'm kind of sweating already from that. And if Dave Bushy ever wants to come over and you want to sing to me personally, man, you can sing that all Hail King Jesus song. Man, that was, that was great stuff. I, I think I sound like that, but I don't know if I do. I'm like listening to him sing. I'm like, I think I sound like that when I sing. But whatever, I'll harmonize with him or do whatever I got to do. All right, well, if you got your Bibles, I want you to go um, and just put them on your lap and just have them there. We're going to turn to a few places today. Uh, but again, we're going to be continuing on talking about encounter. And again, the word that the Lord shared with me for this year. And, uh, you know, just this past week, I had an opportunity to actually go on a couple of pastor's meetings via Zoom and different things like that. And, uh, you know, there's one thing. There's a lady that was, that was speaking on this Zoom call. And she was actually just talking about, they, they oversee a numerous of churches around in, in Canada. And they were talking about something that the Lord had, you know, had said to her at the beginning of March when this whole COVID thing hit. And what it was is that God was rebooting his church. So a lot of times, you know, you kind of look at these things and kind of looking at a negative spin on it. Yeah, there were some absolute horrible things and horrendous things that took place. Yet, at the same time, what is God doing? Because in the midst of all this, God is still moving. It's not like God is on pause, wait till COVID's done, and then we move on. No, what God was doing, he was in the process of rebooting his church. And you know, every time, sometimes, you know, you, you have a, anybody good with technology? Like, I'm not, so my hand's going to stay down. But with some technology things, you know, a lot of times if, you know, a, a DVD player or some kind of gaming console that my kids, you know, we watch or movies or something on, if it doesn't work, if there's a bit of a pause and something's not properly working, sometimes I'll just go, where's Javen? That's my first question. <laughs> Get me Javen on the phone. He's my, like, lifeline. And so a lot of times I'll, hey, Jave, what do I do? Da, 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 and I'll explain the situation to him. He says, reboot it. So what you got to do is you got to turn the power off for a bit, hold it for 10 seconds, right? <laughs> Goes off. And then you got to wait another minute or 30 seconds or whatever they tell you. And then you ding it back up again. What God has been doing in this time is rebooting his church. Because for some, what it has been, it's also been a wake-up call. Those that kind of been, you know, doing their own thing or kind of even viewing church, the assembling of ourselves together, kind of taking it for granted. And so what God has been doing, and this is what this lady has been telling, you know, a number of pastors that were on there, uh, is that God has been getting his church back into the first priority of why it's here, which is in partnership with him. We're not here just to do church. When we're singing these songs, it's not just so that we can get hyped and get sweaty because we can't go to the bar anymore on Friday night. That's not the purpose of it. The purpose is to align ourselves into getting on God's agenda, getting our focus set on who he is. And I think we got that this morning. Absolutely. And so this is what God's been doing is rebooting his church to get back to getting our focus back on him. And the common denominator that she said, they oversee probably about 500 churches in this nation. What most of the pastors have been saying is that they've been, their series have been on coming into encountering with God. And that's what we've been doing. We're right in track with what God is doing and what he's saying. So I want to encourage you with that. And this is what we did even this past Friday night. We had an opportunity to encounter. We took time out of our schedules and we said, okay, Lord, we are here to give our time to you. So those that came, thank you. But I want to encourage you, our next one that we have, church, you got to make it out to that. Those, are not oper- those aren't just like, well, I'll see if I got time. When God tells you a word, get your butt there. It is important because God wants to speak to you there. Well, can he just speak to me in my own house? No. When God tells you to go somewhere, you got to be there in order to hear what he's got to say. All right, I'll leave that alone, but that's just for next time. But where we are, we are here to expect, we are here to prepare our hearts, and we're here to create an environment for encounters with him. So now remember, last week we just discussed that God needs access to me. Everybody say access. The same way you needed access into this room, what was our access point to get into the room? 
You got the back doors, you got the side doors, right? These are the access points. Well, the same way God needs access to get into your and my life. Again, this is a misconception that a lot of believers and Christians have is that God will just come in and invade a person's life. God will just come in and change a person's life without their yes or without their opening themselves up. That is not so. God is a gentleman. He will not rudely interrupt somebody's life. Although he wants to, he doesn't do it until he has access. Everybody say access again. He needs access into your and my life. He needs access to your family. He needs access to your finances. He needs access to your brain. He needs accesses to your physical body. God needs access. Why? Because he's a spirit being. The same way Satan needs access as well. He'll use whoever is willing, whoever is obedient, will just kind of slide in on with his terms. The same way, if you look at it, but this is the reason I don't like snakes even today. Man, you know, think about it. How did Satan get in the garden? He needed access. And what gave up their body? A serpent. A serpent yielded its body, and that's how he got in. Well, God is the same way. He needs access, and he's looking for hum- human beings to dwell in. That's going to be me. Anybody want to give God access? All right, four of you. How about the rest of y'all? The rest, I'm giving God access. Come on, say, God, I'm giving you access. I'm, I have to give it to him. He needs it. Right, and we can see that real clearly in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said he's standing at the door and he's knocking on our heart. If you would be willing to hear and open from within, he will come in and have a dinner with you. But he needs the access. I want to just show you this, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Just to give you a little bit of an idea on this. This is when Moses had that encounter with God. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Now notice verse 3. Moses said, I will now turn aside to see. What is Moses doing? He's intentionally turning. Now I know most people kind of go, well, a burning bush that's not being consumed. Yeah, I'm going to go check that out. That's kind of an interesting thing. Meanwhile, he, you know, he's tending his sheep. He's, he's, he's busy working, and all of a sudden, flames are engulfing this. And he says, now I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. Look at verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him. How did God call to him? When Moses took the time to turn himself aside. You know, I'll give you another example. I don't have it on the screen, but it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 48. When Jesus was actually going, he's crossing the sea. He saw his disciples from afar rowing their boat. And there's the middle of the night. And it says, Jesus, let me just read it to you real quick. Uh, Now about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea, and he was going to pass them by. Anybody ever read that verse before? Why is he going to pass them by? Why did Jesus stop is when they shouted out to him. Jesus! Stop here. Who are you? It looks like a ghost. He needed a response. It's the same way he needs access. And again, last example I want to give you is the prodigal son. It says this in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. Finally, when the son came to his senses. Everybody say, when he came to himself. What happened? Then he started making his way back to the father. But notice this, as he's walking on the father, or what he's running back to his dad, he's not the only one running. The father sees him and he takes off and runs towards him. What does he need? He needs access. Notice the father wasn't out looking for the son. As the son came to himself and said, Lord, I'm, what am I doing? Sitting, feeding hogs. Servants get better treatment than I do in this pen. So he came to himself and he started taking steps towards God. And when the father saw him, he ran. And normally in that Jewish culture, you know, then those gowns and dresses that they had, older men do not run. 
Jesus totally showed and revealed the heart of a father. When you take a step towards him, the father ran and took off, embraced him, picked him up, hugged him, even in all the stench. God isn't scared of mess, but he needs a step. He needs access. He needs a step. And this is what we're doing. And this is what we're taking the time this year is encountering. Yeah, I want to have these personal encounters with the Lord, these encounters together as a family, but he needs access. If we keep doing just the same old thing, same old thing, year in, year out, we're going to get the same results. You're going to have to do something a little bit different. Are we okay with different? Maybe during a song, you're going to lift your hands. Maybe during a song, you're going to just jog on the spot a little bit. Maybe you're going to do a twirl. Do something different. All right. So what's the point to all this? If we don't take the time to pull away by the seemingly busyness of life to be with Jesus, if we don't respond to his invitation to come close, he won't force himself on us, and therefore he doesn't have access So I'm going to ask you this morning, are you hearing the invitation to come close this morning? Have you heard it this past week? I need you. I need you close. I need you right by my side. The same way that I tell my kids, if we're in a parking lot, what do I tell my kids? Stay close. Why? There is cars out there. There It's danger out there. I need you right by my side where I can see you. I can feel you. God's saying the same thing to his church. I need you Come on, say close. I need you close. I want you right here where I can feel you, where I can see you, so I can keep you and guide you where you need to go. Okay. So what, what, how does God have access to me? Which part of me? It's my heart. It's not my mind. It's not my body. How does God get access to me? Through my heart. Everybody say with me, my heart. He needs access to me through my heart. And it will affect my soul. It will affect my, my body. But that's not how he's going to communicate or connect to me. Right? We're not looking for feelings. We're not looking for goosebumps. We're, trying to, we're connecting to him heart to heart. Again, why heart? Because the heart, again, is the real me. I am a spirit. Say this with me. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. This is who you are. You are not this body. Thank God for that. I mean, you look good, but man, thank God this thing's going to be put off with a new one. But I am a spirit. I am a spirit. I have, or I possess a soul, which is I have my will. I have emotions. I have feelings. Anybody got feelings? Yeah, we all got some feelings. I have them. They don't have me. I have them. And then I live in this physical body. So how does God access me? It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. Remember, he lives on the inside of you. He lives there. He said that you're the temple now of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to live there. I want to dwell in there, and I will be your God, and you'll be my people. He desires to live there. That's a good place to be. (laughs) He's safe there. That's where he wants to be. Now, again, he's looking for access to my heart because, again, it's the real me, but also because God is the Father of spirits. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, it says that he is the father of spirits. He is not a flesh God. He is not a brain God or a soul, some kind of you know, brain that's just loose out there somewhere in the sky. He's not a brain. He's not a body, physical body. He's a spirit. And then lastly, everything, as I said, that God does is from the inside out. So he's looking for access into my heart. Again, I'm going to give you these two verses, and we're going to jump into something here. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, 9. It says this, what are the eyes of the Lord doing this very moment? 
These are familiar scriptures, but that's the problem. We don't want them to get familiar to us. The eyes of the Lord, October 18th at 10.55 a.m., the eyes of the Lord are doing what? They are searching. Let me say searching. The eyes of the Lord are searching the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed. What is he looking for? A committed heart. A committed heart to what? A committed heart to him. Saying, Lord, I'll, I'll do. I'll say yes. I'll give you my yes. I'll give you whatever you need. He's looking for it. And what does he want to do? He longs to strengthen you. He longs to impart his power, his wisdom, his ability on the inside of you and I. Anybody ever feeling kind of tired or worn out? It's because you're not close. It's what it is. There's no such thing as burnout in the kingdom of God. I feel so burnt out. How close are you? When's the last time you got with him? Oh, you know, it's oh, probably last week. It, it could very well be why. I'll just leave that there and let you sail out on that. James chapter 4, verse 8 in the Passion. It says this, move your what? Move your what? Heart. Closer and closer to God. And what's he going to do? And he's going to take a step. Notice, who, is, who does it begin with? Me. I have to initiate the first step. Why? Because God already moved 2,000 years ago. He gave us Jesus, so we have everything that we need to living a godliness, to living a life of godliness. It's all been provided for us through the death, burial, resurrection, and extension of Jesus. He's all he provided it. That's why we can throw up our hands and say, all hail King Jesus. He's done it all. He sent darkness running. It's gone. The grave is empty. Death, where is your sting? He's completely gotten rid of all of it. You can read that in Colossians chapter 2. He absolutely, he spanked the devil and took everything he had and paralyzed him. The devil has nothing. Okay. So, now how do I move my heart closer to him since I know and since I've experienced and I see this here, the invitation is out. Do you see this? Move your heart closer and closer to God. Do you need another invitation? This is it right here. If you're looking, I never got my, you know, my invitation card. I never got my RSVP. It's right here. James 4.8 is your invitation to a closer, intimate life with God. Well, I've done so much in my life. I've got so many problems, so many issues. The invitation is still there. He does not change his stance with you and I. It's still arms open. It's still heart open, ready to receive you. But here's the thing. When he takes you in, it's not acceptance. It's repentance, meaning it's change. Right? Jesus again preached love and repentance, not love and acceptance. Hoorah. You got to see that because this is again, it sounds Christian just to, I accept everybody. Yeah, God accepts everybody, but he doesn't leave you that way. Just because people come in with certain lifestyles and, you know, God's just fine with the way I am. Not according to the Bible that I have. So what does he want to do? Not in a harsh, condemning, condoning way. What does he want to do? He wants to change you from the inside out. So all this stuff that we're involved in, we call stuff which is really just sin. What does he want to do? He wants to get that off of our life because sin will kill you. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. God's not a big angry judge just going, I'm going to whoop you. You get over here and you turn your life around or else. It's his kindness that caused you to come into the kingdom. Anybody got scared into the kingdom? Anybody got, you know, try to, somebody try to scare the hell out of you? <laughs> Anybody like in Bible school try to teach the hell out of you? Anybody ever have those experiences? What does Jesus do? Jesus loves the hell out of you. That's what he came to do. That's what he's all about. 
All right. So now how do I get my heart closer to him? We talked last week. My hunger is up to me. Anybody flip the switch this past week? You keep that switch boiling hot. That's normal. And why, does, why is my hunger? It's good that it's up to me. Hunger for me is the safe place. Um, the safest place, as I said, for me to, to live is in my hunger for God. Because in my hunger, it's a place of humility that keeps me dependent on God. If I stay hungry for him, I keep that switch turned on. It protects me from living and doing stupid things that my flesh will maybe want to do. Anybody got flesh this morning? Four of you raised your hand. All right. Y'all got flesh. Remember that time we were like, let's just sing that song one more time. Can we just get on with it? You know what that is? Flesh. We're going to receive our tithes this morning. Oh, dear God. All they want is my money. No, you don't have to do anything. What is that? Flesh. Open your Bible. Oh, God, seriously. Can't we do something else? Flesh. Everybody say flesh. You got to turn that puppy off. So when they say sing that song again, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to make myself sing. I don't feel like it. Neither do I. But you know what you do? You can get to the place that you want to. How many of you wanted to come to church this morning? It probably looked better just to do it online, didn't it? Oh, that's not anybody out there watching online. I'm great that you're watching online. But if you live a block away, get your butt to church. It ain't the same online. I'll tell you that right now. But again, I'm thankful for that we can able to reach people. If you're online because you couldn't make it, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in. We're grateful. But I'm saying, ah, you know what? I just, I just slept in until 9.50. I don't want to get to church. Get your butt to church. What is that? Don't make me say the F word. I, I will say it. In this church. Are you ready? Flesh. All right. I think some of you were a little nervous about that. Okay. (laughs) But my hunger for God is up to me. I determine my hunger. I am experiencing as much of God as I want. And how come that person just seems to get helped by God? God's always talking to them. It's because they want it. You You cannot blame anybody else. Can't look to anybody else. It's up to me. How hungry I am, it's up to me. Number two, then, we talked is making room for God. Did you make room for him this past week? I know I got busy schedules, but what I do first, man, I got, I got meetings up the wazoo. I got, phone, I got lots of going on. But what am I going to do? I'm going to first and foremost pen my time with God in. Why? Because for me, it is important in my life. Because what happens if I don't put in the important, the urgent takes over. Somebody else's urgencies in their life take over my important stuff in my life. It happens regularly, consistently. So what do I do? I pen it in. This is my time with God. And somebody say, hey, can we set that time up? Or, hey, I'm going to give you a call this time. It won't work because I actually already have an appointment and I'm spending time with the Lord. It ain't going to change. Somebody's got an appointment. I don't know who that is. You better pick it up. It looks urgent. All right. We've got to get a hold of you. Now, let's talk about this one. Now, how do I move my heart closer and closer to God? Is I need to guard my heart. Now, I know this is not necessarily something necessarily new to you, but this is just as important. So I'm making room for God. I understand that my hunger for him is up to me. But number three now is I have got to protect and i got to guard my own heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says it like this. Above all. We say above all. Above all, all, meaning above all that you do, above all that you are, the psalmist or the proverb says, guard the affections of your heart. 
Why? Why do I need to guard the affections of my heart? Because they affect all that I am. Next, look at this. He now says, not only guard your heart, now he says, pay attention. Everybody say, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to what? To the welfare of my innermost being. Why? Because from there flows the wellspring of life. Now, why does he say, notice this, the word life flows. Too often we think that life happens to us. Now, a lot of times, yeah, there are some things that are out of our control. That I cannot control, that I have nothing to do with it. It just happened. Right? I'm out of that. But what I am in control of is how I respond or react to a situation that comes my way. Because again, Christians, we got to think differently. We kind of think that life 2020 is happening to us. No, 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 no. We got to change our thought. I'm going to make 2020 happen for me. People keep talking, blah, blah, blah. Let's just finish this year. Hey, I got two and a half months of this left. I'm going to make my 2020. Why? Because life flows from the innermost being. Life doesn't happen to me. And again, stuff happens. That is out of our control. I acknowledge that. I see that. But it's not going to dictate to me how I'm going to respond or how I'm going to react. And according now to the affections of my heart, what's going on the inside of me, it'll determine if that thing is going to take me out or if I will rise above it. Well, how do you determine all that? What have you been listening to? What have you been watching? What have you been speaking? These are the three areas. These are the gates into our heart is what we're hearing, what we're seeing, what we're speaking. Those are gateways or avenues that affect our heart. So you have to do some personal inventory. I remember this. You know, we actually, I, I believe this all my heart. We had a mini revival going on in our youth group um, a few years ago. And it was, it was wild. Just to see some of these kids. We had a secular CD burning service. Not everybody participated. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. But we had a number of, some of our youth that just were so... Jesus, we want all of you. You know what they did? They brought some of their Blink 182, Matchbox 20, Nickelback, if that even counts as. Look at this photograph. Anyways, that's the only thing. And you just, what did they do? They just started burning it. But you know what? God honored that. They were kids that experienced God. It was amazing to see. But they were just saying, you know what? We're going to watch the affections of our heart. You have got to take inventory for your own personal self, the affections of your heart. What are you seeing? Are you spending so much time watching CNN and Fox and MSNBC and all those guys? What's happening? It's getting to your heart, whether you realize it or not. Horror films, what's it doing? It's trying to get to your heart. What's the enemy trying to do? He's trying to get in there to plant his seed. Because once his seed is in, now it can start to grow and germinate. But he's saying you've got to protect the affections of your heart because, again, your heart is a sponge. Whatever you're seeing... It just takes it right in. Okay. Now, again, with our heart, it's better to prepare our heart than it is to repair our heart. Now, if you got, so there's a lot of stuff that's in your heart. Of course, everybody sometimes got stuff. But thank God, he's the one that can mend a broken heart. He's able to fix a broken heart. Again, he needs access, though. If you can give him access, he's able to fix it. Right? Okay. Now, let's look at this. Jesus, he also commented. And he connects the health of a heart with the fruit of the product. Now look at this in Luke chapter 6. In verse 43, Jesus said, a good tree. Now we really got to get this. A good tree can't. Everybody say can't. Produce bad fruit. Did you hear what he said? A good tree can't produce bad fruit. 
They'll never say, why does this always happen to me? Why am I always like this? You'll never have to say those words again because a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And on the other side, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Anybody ever see that, you know, uh, people do something maybe that's not really good? I'll just say it's stupid. They do some dumb things, right? And people say, oh, they just have a good heart. False. No. There is no such thing because a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. It is impossible. Now look at this, verse 44. He says that a tree really is identified by its fruit. So again, what do we do as believers? Do we judge people? No. But what do we judge? We judge the fruit. We're able to look at the fruit and go, hey, because, I mean, how can you tell your kids, like, you know, I've seen the fruit coming out of that guy's life. Stay away from them. You don't want to be around that. How can you say that? Isn't that judging? No. I have no we are not to judge any human life. That's not for you and I. Because when you judge, you're passing sentence on somebody, and that is not our position at all. But God does tell us to look at the fruit. He does say to test and look at the fruit. What's the fruit coming out of their lives? That's what we can look at, right? And again, not in a condemning way, not in a convicting way or a hurtful kind of way by going, oh, I need to, I need to pay attention to that. This guy that I'm hanging around, he's angry quite often. I need, to, I need to pay attention to some of those things. What is that? That's just being wise. Because you hang around an angry person, what happens to you? You get angry. <laughs> you watch CNN long enough, guess what? You'll get angry. <laughs> you listen to anybody speak, you'll just get angry. So he says, figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from uh, bramble bushes. But verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things. An evil produces evil things from the treasury of a evil heart. What you say flows from your heart. So whatever you're putting on the inside, whatever you're watching, is going to come out. This is a big deal. So when we talk about all these, you know, these, these crises and these damaging things that we see in the world, they are horrible, but you know what the result is? It's an evil heart. How could that guy just all of a sudden up and kill his family? Evil heart. But they were a good person. Evil heart. Don't mix that with a good person. Because good people do good things out of a good heart. How many of you got some good heart? I mean, there's some good-hearted people in this place. And what's the result? You'll produce good things. But evil, on the other hand, is just that. So Jesus, Jesus said you can identify people by their fruit. So you and I, we've got to take inventory of our own hearts to make sure that they are healthy and they're proper. Our Father has given us this responsibility of tending our own garden. The same way when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. What did God say? I want you to tend the garden. You know what he was saying when he said tend the garden? Snakes coming. There's a thief out there. There's an enemy out there. Pay attention. Snake coming. And now he's saying the same thing. What Jesus did on the cross is he got our garden back. We have something even better than the Garden of Eden. Guess what it is? It's the kingdom of God that lives on the inside of me. I have the ability to bring out fruit from the kingdom from the inside out. How can you be so kind and calm and loving in a world that's like this? The kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God is not somewhere out there. It's in me. It's in you. And I'm able to produce it. Wow. By focusing and spending my time in the kingdom realities. That's what I'm going to think on. That's what I'm going to dwell on. Okay. Now, what am I guarding my heart from, as I said? Watch it out. But also this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. And I want you to see this from the Amplified Bible for a moment. 
This is the end of John's or his book, and he's telling this to his kids. He says, little children, that includes you and I, keep yourself from idols, false gods. And then I love this in the Amplified. It really expounds on in this in the Greek. From anything and everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. From any sort of substitute for him that would take first place in your life. Amen. So be it. What's he saying? Make sure nobody else takes first place in your life. People, things, you can't have that. Because if God becomes number second, God's a horrible number two. Oh, it'll hurt. You know what? In other translations, it actually brings it out like this. Um, oh, I'm getting to that. Don't go there, Joel. What am I doing from anything and everything that would substitute him from being second in my life? So as believers, we have made a decision, our heart decision, heaven over hell. How many of you made that decision? What did you do? You accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? And we're fine. We're thankful for that. We're grateful for that. But I believe the next part we have to now do and answer is this. Have we picked heaven over the world? It's a question you got to answer for yourself. We picked heaven over hell? Yeah, no big deal. But what about heaven over this world? Because what holds believers back from anything, from going into an intimate relationship with the Lord? It's worldly things. It's just this world stuff. So can we talk about that for a little bit? Okay. The Bible actually calls it to be carnally minded. And it leads to death, not just death physically, but just death even emotionally. People are depressed. Christians are depressed. Why? Carnally minded. That's, that's the result. That's the root of depression is you're thinking too much about natural things all the time. Okay, I, there's so much you can get into this. Romans chapter 8 discussed it, but anybody that set their minds on things of this world, the result is it leads to death. But those that have their, their mind fixed or set on the spirit, meaning on his word, it brings life and peace. So what's the difference? You can have two people that come to the same church, hear the same worship team, hear the same message, hear the same offering, and have opportunity to give, yet one leaves rejoicing, and the other just leaves, everything's just a mess. What's the difference? What's the difference? Now, look at this, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Let's turn here for a moment. And it says this, Don't set the affections of your heart on this world, or in loving the things of this world. So what is he saying? What did he tell us to do? Don't do what? Don't set the affections of my heart on things of this world. Or loving this world. Because notice what happens. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. Meaning this, God and the world do not coexist. God doesn't play good with other gods. Remember when the Israelites took, uh, or the Philistines took the, the ark and they put it in their temple of, uh, who's their, Dagon? What happened the next morning? Dagon first was flat, you know, head first on the ground. So that was weird. So they put it back up. Next morning they came back, Dagon's head was off. What? God doesn't go on play dates with other gods. All of a sudden they did it a third time. This time his head and his extremities were off. God doesn't go on playdates with other gods. Why? He has no time for them. He, they do not coexist. They're not even incompatible. Amen. And this is what he's saying for us. Because loving the world, loving the Father is incompatible. It doesn't work. In the Message Bible, it says it like this. That the love for the world, it actually squeezes out love for the Father. 
And this is what the reboot is all about. God is getting his church back. What does that mean? He's getting his people back. That all of a sudden, when we come into it, when we come gathered together, it is the easiest thing just to come and worship him. We don't have to prime the pump. Why? Because I've already been primed all week. God's getting his church back, meaning he's getting me back. He's getting my heart back. Thank you for those three amens. Okay. Now, verse 16, it says, For all that the world can offer us. Now, notice, here's three things that the world offers. This is the only three things that the world offers. Number one, the gratification of our flesh. We know that, right? Flesh wants to be pleased. Number two, the allurement of things in this world. Right? We like to see things. Thirdly, and the obsession with status and importance. These are the three things. And if you see that in the Garden of Eden, you see it with Jesus being tempted in Matthew chapter 4. This is the same way that the enemy tempted Jesus was in these three areas. This is all he's got. You know, the Bible says, don't be ignorant of the one that we're fighting against. Know him. Know what our enemy's like. I mean, I don't pay much attention to him, but know his strategies. He is very crafty. He's very subtle. He knows how to work the human race. You can see it in the world today. What are all these strengths? It's, we're not fighting people. The devil has understood the tipping points or the frustration points in mankind, and he's using it to prod. You think it's by accident that all these videos are being captured by accident? Just a coincidence I was there? No, man, the devil's working. But thank God our God is working as well, stronger and more than any devil would ever do. But he's telling you and I, these are the three areas that the enemy comes in. He comes after the gratification of the flesh, the lure of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the three traps that gets mankind stuck, is in those three areas. So as long as you're noticing that, you're able to protect your heart from that. Oh, you should come over here. You can make a lot more money. You could get a bigger office. Careful, unless the Lord's leading you. But this is just a temptation. What did, what did uh, Satan offer Jesus? I'll give you the kingdoms of this world because they were handed down to me. All you got to do is worship me. And Jesus was tempted. He was tempted. But what does the devil always try to do? Try to do the easy way out. Jesus knew, get behind me, Satan. That is not the way you will worship God and him alone. He put him in his place because he knew the word. His heart was fixed on God. Yeah. It's the only thing that's going to keep us. Going to church isn't going to just do enough for us anymore. Okay, none of these things, everybody say none of these things come from the Father, but they come from the world. None of them come from God. Verse 17, this world, and when it says this world, it actually is meaning the world's systems is, uh, that leaves God out of the picture is slowly fading away. The systems of this world, the world's systems, uh, is, is, and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God will live forever. <laughs> That's a good place to be. Now, again, let's talk about things. Is it wrong to have things and stuff? No. no thank you for coming with clothes today. <laughs> it just made those that maybe are visiting or just, you know, coming, you know, figuring it out. It just makes it a lot more comfortable if you wore clothes. Thank you. Is it wrong to have things? Is it wrong to have a nice car? Is it wrong to have, you know, a nice house? Is it wrong to look good? No. There's nothing wrong with that. 1 Timothy 6.17 tells us that God gives us richly all things to enjoy. He says enjoy it. The problem is, what lies is, is when the things have us. That's where the problem lies. And let's get, let's get into this a little bit. I have an illustration uh, to show you. Shane, would you help me with that, man? You're sitting there so cute over there. I wonder if you, could, if you could help me bring all my goodies and that big black one too. 
I'd really appreciate that. I want to just talk about things. The problem is when things have me. And uh, thank you so much, Shane. I'm going to just take that one. That's it, man. That's really good. This is uh, Mr. Hartnell. Thank you very much. That's uh, courtesy Dave Hartnell. But I want to just give a little illustration, a little example. But when we say that the things and stuff have me, what I'm meaning is that I trust my things' ability to take care of me, to keep me happy, to keep me safe. When things have me, I trust its ability that it gives me happiness. My car, oh, I just love my car. My car is the greatest thing. It gets me to A to B and B to A. It's amazing. I love my car. I love my car. It's because you trust its ability for your happiness, for your pleasure. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying it. But if all of a sudden your trust gets into that car, that's where the problem lies. You know, this whole thing about this kingdom of God, what the whole issue is, it's a trust issue. You know what people say? Oh, they talk about money. And people talk about a lot of those things. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with trust. That's what he's after. God's not after money. He's not after your car. He's not after your marriage. He's not, man, he's not after your kids. He's not after your home. He's after your heart. He wants you. And he wants to bless you with these kinds of things. And so what I want to get to the place in my life is that when I have these things, I have them with an open hand. So if he ever told me, Joel, I want you to sow your vehicle into somebody's life. That I wouldn't go, no, 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 not going to happen. That's a problem. And my relationship with God, guess what? It stops right there. Why? Because my whole relationship with God is based on trust. And if I can't get past that stepping point, now listen, we all got choking points. I've been in some meetings and the Lord says, I want you to give so much money. Come again? Now, devil, you get behind me, you you stupid demon. <laughs> but have you ever been, now, I know it wasn't the devil because has the devil ever tempted you to tithe? <laughs> That's how I knew it was God. <laughs> but what happened? That becomes, and you know what? God never created choking points for us. He said all things are possible to him that believes. There's no limit for us. We are a limitless church. We're limitless kids. But for you and I, we got some choking points, and those choking points are, exist at our trust level. So wherever your trust level lies, that's actually your choking point. So sometimes to break past a certain barrier, guess what you got to do? Just like Peter, you got to step over that boat. You got to step into the water and go, okay, as you step. And guess what? God will be there just at the right time to get you right when you need it. And what will happen? He'll expand the threshing floor, or he'll expand the choke point. It'll go to the next level for your own self. Because what does God want us to live ultimately? Choke free. <laughs> Look at Jesus. Do you think Jesus was concerned about anything? I got five triscuits and two tiny minnows. Shoot. 15,000 people. Man, I, break it into the grains. Let's see if we can give everybody a piece. Man, he had no, no concern, no worry. Why? His confidence was in God. You will not go down because your faith or your trust is not in stuff. Anyways, okay, I'm glad we're all in the same boat there. Now, let me show you this illustration. Now, I have to take my coat off for this because it's going to be impossible for me to get through. Just, just so we're all care. <laughs> yeah, sure. Tight pants, tight coat. What can't this guy do? I know. All right. So what I want to again, just show this illustration. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. That you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Everybody say narrow gate. Narrow gate. 
He says, the highway to hell is broad. It's long. It's big. And his gate is wide for many to choose that way. But the gateway of life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Now, he also said this, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to be saved. Now, what does he mean, rich person? Doesn't, don't just think money. Possessions, stuff, things. He's saying it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Anybody ever thought about that and go, I don't get that. I have to. And then you actually just think on it for a little bit. What's he saying? Unless a camel is completely taken off, get rid of all of the baggage and all the stuff that's on it, it can't enter in. Well, he's telling you and I the exact same thing. You and I, we have all this baggage. This is not a purse. It's European. How do I know? Because I bought it in Italy, so I know it's real deal. Again, this is not a purse. It's a purse. Now, I got stuff. I have things. These are, this is my stuff. You can see, can you all see it? This is very, very important to me. This is like, here's my, my stuff, man. Like, what would you name it? This is, you know, possession. My keys are in here for my house. This is my money. These are my bills. These are all the relationships. This is everything that I want in my life. It's all right here. I worked hard for this. I spent hours and hours and countless hours working for that no good boss, and I finally got what I've been reserved. You see the attitude? And now, this is what Jesus says. Now, okay, it's great that you have this stuff. I want you to enjoy it. Now, first of all, can you really enjoy it unless God gave it to you? Not really. But here's the thing. Now he's telling us that, okay, the road to life everlasting is narrow. This is going to be tough. So he's telling me, y'all, it's not working. <laughs> it, it said ages four and up, and I immediately regretted the decision when I saw this. But what is he telling you and I? You can't go through this life controlling your stuff. If I can open with an open hand, free. Hey, I want you to sow this into Cheryl's life. You got got some stuff. But I am so free to do so. Let go, let go. Not yet. I want you to give this to Kyla because she really likes purses. And Silas, just because... Looks would look good on you. I have to, it should be an open hand. And what is the result? God wants to get me a nicer purse. He's no, he has no problem with me having things. Because now, when I go through the short and narrow. I can. It becomes that much easier. As long as we're holding on to stuff, I can't get through the life that God's called me to have. And this is, the, this is what he tells us in 1 John chapter 2, or 1 John 5, 21. He says, make sure there's nothing that would take the place that's due to God. And as long as stuff, and this is the, this is the, this is the road God's called me to. Man, how, 
how am I going to get through that? He, on the other end, like this is where I want to be. I want to be here because I know this is my call. I'm operating in my grace. I'm operating in all the gifts that God gave me. And I'm standing here, but I got all this stuff. You have to choose what's more important to you. You got to make that choice. And really, you have to take inventory of your life. So now, how do I move away from the attitude of things having me to now I'm all of a sudden having things? And the answer real simple is I got to fill my thoughts with something else. Colossians chapter 3. This is very, very simple, but it's, I hope you get this. Verse 1, he says, Christ's resurrection is now your resurrection. This is why we are to yearn. Let's say yearn. What does yearning mean? It's an expression of your spirit. It's not something you make up mentally, going, I'm, I'm going to yearn for you. I'm going to yearn, yearning, yearn. I'm not just yearning mentally. I can't physically make it happen. I can't emotionally make it happen. I have to, from my heart, yearn. The same way that I, Jamie and I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I still yearn for my wife. But when we were apart, like, we dated long distance for a number two, a year and a half, two years. And so we saw each other, you know, three days a month. That's what we saw because we would go travel back and forth once a month. But at those airports, our heart would hurt for one another because I'd, I'd miss her. I miss not seeing her. I miss not being around her. What is that? That's a type of yearning on the inside. We are to have that exact same heart for him. So the standard is not somebody else, somebody that can jump higher, somebody that can sing louder, somebody that can pray in tongues better. That's not the standard. The standard is I'm looking to myself, do I yearn for God like the way I should? Because remember, I, remember, we said I searched the world. It couldn't fill me. Every man's empty praise, all of those things, it meant nothing to me. And then when he came into my life, everything changed. All of a sudden, man, all the, the colors made more sense. I saw blue for what it was. I saw green for what it is. Man, he took away gray and blah, and he made my world. Poof, I can, I can see. I can see it. Remember those feelings that you had? And this is another word that Jesus had for the church in Ephesus. He said, you've lost your first love. He said, I see all the works that you do. They're amazing. He's I'm good for you. That's great. I'm blessed by it. But he said, I have this one thing against you. And really, he's talking to the church. And the message to the church is, you left your first love. In the midst of being busy, in the midst of doing God's work, you left me. And he's saying, come back, repent, and do the works you once did. So look at this. There is no emotion attached to it. There's no feeling attached to it. It's just, do the work. I don't want to do it. Do the work. Everybody say it with me, do the work. Remember when you used to get up at six to pray? Remember when you wake up in the middle of the night, just go right into your Bible and start reading it again? What stopped? What happened? We got to just get right back into that again. And as you take those steps, God will meet you and that yearning will begin again. Because my standard for my life is not to pray longer than Jamie, not to be better, to be you know, any more important. My job is to yearn for all that is above. This is my standard, is here's the word, is to yearn. Then he says, for that's where Christ sits enthroned, at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Number two, yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities. As you go about your day, fill them. You're thinking about something, you might as well fill it with the right stuff. He said, fill your thoughts with heaven's realities. If this were easy, everybody would be doing it. But it's not, it takes discipline. You have to take control from your spirit, man. Take control and say, this is what I'm going to think on. All of a sudden, a thought of this or a thought of that. No, 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 no. I'm setting my mind on things that are above. What are you doing? You're, lear you're learning to yearn. You know, you can do that. You can learn to yearn. 
And he says, heavenly thoughts, uh, realities, and not with the distractions of this natural realm. Verse three, your crucifixion with Christ has severed you from the ties of this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ Jesus. Now, as you sit there, I have just a quick song that I want you to hear. And I, just for a moment, I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you just to hear the words of this song. Let it bless you. Let it impact you. And we'll come right back.